Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, glad y'all could join us for another show. Today's show is So Who Killed Malcolm X? We got Drea, our, uh, our co-host today, contributor. She's always on the show as much as she can. Glad you could join us, Drea. So I can't hear you a little bit. Thank What's up with the volume? Oh, there you go. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you good now. All right. Hey everyone! Hey family! So today, on? so today's show is basically so who killed who killed Malcolm X based off the Netflix drama or documentation or dramatization, however you want to word it, of the Malcolm X killing and who was responsible or who killed Malcolm X. Uh, Drea, did you get a chance to see the documentary? Um, I watched the entire documentary. Uh, I kind of I binge watched it in two parts and took some notes. So I have some notes for you guys here. Um, very interesting because we're heading into what um, the 55th anniversary of Max's assassination. So they kind of hit it right one time. Um, my thoughts on just the whole um, docuseries, whatever you want to call it. Why now? Why 55 years later? And so that's my question. I felt like it was this whole, um, you know, I'm a big hip hop head. So you've seen a lot of like docuseries on who killed Biggie and Tupac. And so all this is like kind of combined into one and this, this whole unsolved mystery. And, you know, uh, as we mentioned before, it's like, you know, now we got the Netflix and chill. So hopefully this is now, I don't like to say woke, but it's kind of like, hmm, why all this is surfacing now? And even to the point of um, the Godfather of Harlem with Bumpy Johnson, you see how that is surfacing as a docuseries. So it's a lot of like things that make you say, hmm, <laughs> that's coming about. So I had, I had the opportunity to see the, uh, the documentary as well. Uh, let me try to give some people some context to... Uh, the, the the backdrop, uh, or, or sort of say, is that one of one of the things that I don't think the documentary came off well was explaining the climate of America or in Black America back then, explaining that we were a breath away from being chattel slavery, mm -hmm. meaning the Nation of Islam started in 1930. Mm -hmm. I mean, slavery was a generation prior, 40 years prior. Uh, so in the 60s, 50s, 60s, there was this major movement during the Black Renaissance as well as the Great Migration up north. It was a, a climate of racial pride where Black men and Black women were being, you know, like now we're being told the kings and queens thing. A lot of people back then were being told, no, you somebody, you a God, you, you know, stand up on your own two feet. Like some of us now may say we stand on our ancestors' shoulders, so to say. So I think that that wasn't explained good in the documentary, as well as the brother, Abdurrahman Muhammad, who, who did the documentary with Netflix, he had already wrote a book about it in 2010, I think or 2011, and anybody that knows anything about the Malcolm X murder would know, as well as that, the alleged shooter 
The Star Ledger had did a story on him in 2011. The Star Ledger is one of the biggest was the biggest newspaper in New Jersey at the time before it kind of like merged with NJ.com because they seen everybody was going digital. As well as the Daily News in New York had did a story. Basically, it was like here's a killer hiding in plain sight. Mm -hmm. I happen to know the alleged shooter, William Bradley, who was William X. I knew him before he I knew him for about he died in 2018. I've I've known him for about 10 years prior to all this coming on, around 2000, 2000, yeah, around 2000, I met him. Uh, I knew him before the accusations that would, see, before, I didn't know who he was, so to say. I know him as Mustafa. And then when all the stuff came out, mm -hmm. I would see him and we would talk. Uh, so he would never talk about this situation when he was addressed about it, because people would ask him, people would try to get information from him, but he would never address it. So I just want people to know that I think that the documentary was very good mm -hmm. if you understand context, if you understand, you know, the climate back then. And, and you know, a lot of people, I noticed a lot of people on social media had put a, oh, these old jokers, man, they still ain't tell. They ain't supposed to tell. They ain't supposed to tell. It sounds crazy and it sounds harsh that people may not understand. But these guys was cut from a different cloth where they did not tell. Definitely if it didn't have anything to do with their personal business. If it wasn't their affair, they didn't tell rumors or they didn't tell what they heard or what they thought. Opposed to our generation, a lot of us always like to jump in situations and be like, oh, I heard such and such or I did such. No, they weren't supposed to tell. And you know, just to put some context into that and, you know, some of the things that you were saying you got out of the documentary. Definitely. And I want to just um, piggyback on one thing you said um, about how older people, our elders, are not supposed to tell or didn't tell. You got to think about this. Back in the time with the Great Northern Migration, the reason why people had to leave because of lynching. So who are you going to tell? The local police who was a KKK at night. You're going to tell them, oh, you know, my uncle got lynched or whatever the case is. So they cut from that cloth of, I kind of have this mist or just this guard up. And who can I really tell if, you know, my whole family is getting wiped out by white supremacy, you know, Ku Klux Klan, especially if your family's from the South. So I just had to throw that in there. So, but now people want to document, record. So I guess they want to be like, oh, sorry, social media wasn't back then. And, you know, I don't think a lot of, people in this generation will be able to survive that generation. But. Yeah, because you know, we like we like to uh we like to say that we we toughen in our generation that came before us or we, you know, they were soft. And our actuality, like and, and even me and you have discussed like why they didn't tell us. And I and I truly believe and I I'm starting to learn is that they didn't tell us because certain things were not important. Right. You know, their their utter survival was more important than learning certain things or telling us certain things. They was trying to survive. Um, exactly. One of one of the uh, key points is that he, he kind of. I don't. I know Dre. You don't know the area. How do you think he made the people in North look in general? Um, I felt like he made them look like not saying snitches, but I felt like he was very invasive, which is, you know, if you're doing an investigation, you have to be very invasive, you have to be bold. Um, I think a lot of people was kind, was, was 
kind enough <laughs> you know, to share a piece of the story of what was happening. Um, I remember it was a scene, I can't think of which part in which the, the gentleman, um, was it, is it Q, I mean, the oldest gentleman, he got up, he got offended. That's Carson. I know him. I know him. That's Carson. Right. Him. So he had got offended, you know, and, um, because we had to still think about it. I'm coming from the social service, the, the social work lens. People are still dealing with that trauma, Right. You're still dealing with trauma. And then it's like, well, why are you coming back out here open up old wounds? And then that's the whole nother level of trauma that you still have to continuously heal. So I think he didn't make the people look soft. I just think that they just kind of got caught off guard. Sometimes, let's be honest, people like to be, um, as Chuck and I said, all up in the videos. And they go, like, well, I was there. I got, you know, my account and this what happened. And it could be so... Um, off you know on another level so i just think that the people was kind of caught off guard and people was offended people put their guard up and i always i also want to know how did he build rapport he probably built rapport by saying hey i'm a fellow you know muslim you know whatever cases and probably you know kind of try to break the ice through that so i always want to know like how did he break rapport how well, did he know who to scout one of one of one of the one of the things in the community is that it's very easy it's very easy to to get it in sort of say you Muslim you know what I mean sort of say mm -hmm. you're Muslim so people are gonna treat you like their brother, um, but certain questions are not asked because a lot of times people are looked at as you know what you're an agent like you know what you're asking all these questions for, and I think that. And I can't speak for Carson. I do know him. He's an elder, highly, highly respected in the community. I think that what people, when he asked certain questions and then how that question was put at the end was, you have to understand the context back then. Mm -hmm. the, these brothers, most of these brothers were treated like they were dogs, like before prior to that. Like it may have not been no lynching that we know of up north, but they were coming from down south being lynched. They were coming from being told they can't do something certain things. Uh they had a he Elijah Muhammad instilled a lot of pride in people right. and empower and empowerment. A lot of people don't know they had something called the fish program. And they had a fish program that was so extensive that basically they had the docks. And a lot of people may be like, oh, no, the, you know, certain uh, ethnicity ran the docks. No, they had a direct line from fish coming from Bolivia where all of them had a fish program. And all throughout northern the northern states, they were selling fish all over the country, housing projects in, in New York, housing, housing projects in North. Moss number seven with Malcolm X preached mm -hmm. was probably the most powerful mosque in the country. Mm -hmm. Even though Elijah Muhammad was based in Chicago at the time, right. Mosque number seven was probably the, the, the strongest mosque. And then the second strongest was probably mosque number 25 mm. in North New Jersey. So this is the context that I don't think that was really explained. That right. he did say that how Minister James at the time, who was James Shabazz, who was the who was the the temple leader in Mosque number 25 in North, one at Farrakhan, but he still never explained the issue, the, the, the major issue that these two mosques, like you, 
they were the strength of the of the community of the of the nation. Right. As well as when you sold stuff, when you sold, as people know, bean pies, you had the restaurants, you had all these stuff, all the money, not some, not half, not a little, all the money had to go to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then it was redispersed back to particular areas for, you know, to keep things going. But like, really, it was a major fish pro. pro The fish program is something that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm -hmm. That was something major because they really like had a connection with Bolivia getting chips over here and selling fish. So this is one of the things that I, that I personally believe, and I'm not, I haven't seen Kassam since this documentary came out, that why I think he got so offended because the mindset of the brothers back then was like, you talking about our father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You talking about a man that like, he literally, and, and even if you saw the, com- the commercialization of Malcolm X killing by Spike Lee, even mm-hmm. if you saw that movie, Malcolm even explained it like, here it is, I would have died for this man. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that in the documentary that's explained enough. Like this man, Elijah Muhammad, even to this day, Mm-hmm. You may hear people that's not even in the nation. They'll say the Honorable Elijah Muhammad out of reverence for exactly. him. I'm, you know, I don't particularly say it. You know, that's just me. But right. even people that they'll say the Honorable Elijah Muhammad out of reverence and out of respect. So this is something that, like I said, I don't think that is explained right. well enough. And I like what you just talking about. Because remember in the documentary, they said that you know they had like a father and son dynamic relationship. And we also have to understand the context of, like you said, back in the 30s, when Nation of Islam was started. And at that time, a lot of lynchings was going on. So a lot of Black men, or just probably like a lot of Black people, period, looked at Elijah Muhammad as their father because maybe their fathers was lynched in the South. Um, Elijah Muhammad came from, you know, Georgia. And the area where he came from was pretty much like lynch-based heavy. And I don't know if you guys know that him and also um, the owner of Motown um, pretty much was neighbors and their family decided to move out of um, Sandersville, Georgia because of the high thing that was going on and felt that Detroit was a safer place because you were not hearing about, okay, lynching and also too, that was, was like a, a state to also build wealth as well. So we're talking about a different dynamic, you know, from here to 2020. Um, what I liked about the was uh, I like how it showed the strength of Black people uniting, but I also like showing how people can have like this whole rap battle because you can pin two people up against each other, and I say like the Black, you know, the the Black Messiahs, and be like, yo, hold on, like who am I supposed to follow now? And I felt um, um, Malcolm X was probably such under so much pressure. That he was like, you know what? If I was the, if my life was the end today, so be it. I just think he was that, and you know, heavy under stress. He's like, you know what? I feel the death. And if he was so intuitive, he just knew, like, you know what? My days are numbered, and it did mention that my days are numbered. But who is gonna come at me? Is it the FBI? Is the CIA? Is it you know informants within, you know, the um, NOI? So I think that. You know, we kind of glanced over, yo, all these people was in bed together. And at the end of the day, I remember the guy um, that was the informant, the black guy, I can't think of his name. He was like, yo, I have a, I had a pregnant wife 
it's kind of like I'm just trying to get the bag. And so here us is in the capitalism. I'm trying to just get the bag. And so if I got to take out a black life, so be it. Um, so that's what I got from a lot of it as well. It's like, you know what? At the end of the day, somebody got to get taken out. And Malcolm X, we have to also understand too, he didn't have resources. I'm talking about financial resources. Because once, you know, he was pulled out of NOI on suspension, that was a done deal. He was like pretty much homeless. Because you're talking about someone's coming from being a hustler, being locked up in Massachusetts. Um, so he didn't have that safety net as Elijah Muhammad, right? Yeah, that's 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 key to uh, also, like you said, understand is that he was literally broke after his house was burned or bombed down. He was literally broke. He had no. He was a man with a mission and a message. He had no contingent, except a few people like uh like Professor James Small, who we right. know, who we know who's still around, who's still teaching. Um, and very small people, and even Professor Small wasn't even in the country at the time. Mm -hmm. And he he didn't have a lot of uh people around. He had no place to really preach. He had right. no he had no platform. Unlike us, you know, we got social media, you know, but uh we had me and you had discussed that before. That is, it's a lot of lessons to be learned for yeah. our generation, and one of one of our guests makes a very interesting point. Toshiba, she says something. She said, "I think it was important to do this documentary. It's about generational knowledge. For example, prior to Ava doing the documentary on the Exonerated Five, many knew nothing about the tragedy." Mm -hmm. I I agree with I agree with her. And I do like to, um, one of the biggest things is that we need to uh, take from our elders while they're here, as mm -hmm. we always say, get them their flowers while they're still with us. Right. And, and, and not just that, is to get this type of information because sometimes a book or a movie just doesn't give it justice. Exactly. And, like, and like one thing that I think that a lot of people left out with the Malcolm X thing is that because of the climate back then, Malcolm X was not a hero. He was a traitor. And in their doctrine or their thought pattern, he was literally a hypocrite. Here it is a man, here it is a man who was taught, and they had the belief back then that the white man was the devil and Elijah Muhammad was the messenger of God. Here it is when he gets suspended, and then a year later goes over to Mecca, he, come, he comes out and he finds out about what the religion is about, the religious aspect of what they said they believe. He comes back and he says, contrary to what they all said they believe, no, Elijah Muhammad, you're not the messenger, and it is white people are not the devil. Right. I don't think people understand that when you have somebody who, who literally stabs your back. And you see this a lot of times on Facebook and social media. Mm -hmm. A lot of people can't stand the attack. Even if it may be true, an attack to someone's belief system, they're going to fight. Even if you put doubt in their head and be like, well, you believe in this, this, that, that. I don't believe in that. I'm going to attack. So a lot of times, I don't think, like I said in the documentary, that was not 
context that that needs to be explained like yo he came back with that though a lot of those followers wind up believing him 10 15 20 and even we see now 50 years later that back then like this guy came back with that and he was going after the, the quote-unquote messenger they couldn't take that like you know and then even in the documentary and he did say that if that quote unquote, if it didn't come out of Nork, it was going to happen regardless. Mm -hmm. That may be true, but like we go into the commercialization of, of Malcolm and like, man, you talked about after Malcolm was killed, right? If anybody know anything about his wife, Betty Shabazz, she wound up going, getting her degree, going to bed, uh, going to college, Mega Evers College. The commercialization came about right before Spike Lee's movie. We all right. know about Malcolm as kids, I guess, growing up. We knew who Malcolm X was. Some of us had, some of us even went to Malcolm X Shabazz High School that's in Newark. They teach you, and you may hear of his speeches. So a lot of times people don't even know if his speeches were prior to being in the nation. I mean, being in the nation or leaving the nation. A person can't even tell by his speech. Some yeah. of his speeches you could tell, and even in the even in one of the documentaries. He said something, it was a speech the brother bought, and this is one of the good things I got about the documentary. He bought a speech mm -hmm. that he was speaking so ill of Elijah Muhammad. I'm like, yo, he tripping. Because before he would just say, I broke away from them. These are the speeches that we heard. I broke away from them, they're on this. He actually blamed the whole condition of the oppression in America on them. He said they could stop it but they're either unwilling to or don't want to. And then he would attack Elijah Muhammad. So I thought that was interesting, as well as, like I said, going into the commercialization, us looking at Malcolm X as a hero, which he, I believe he's a hero. I believe he's a leader. I believe he, the charisma he had was incredible. Incredible charisma. The charisma was incredible. And he teaches, I believe that he uh, should be, should be, uh, Heroized, so to say. I won't say idolized. I'll say heroized. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it it was just different back then. Right. It definitely was different, especially. So I had rolled down some things. Um, so we got to think about the sixties and what was going on. We're talking about Vietnam War. We're talking about um, still, you know, northern migration, and also to the black household employment. Um, so we're talking about eight percent of you know households was led by single mothers and in 1960 21%. So like I is going back mm. to the whole lynching thing. And also too sometimes we have to live in separate households. Like you know your dad may still be in the south, your mom, you know, your dad moved your mother up north and had to go back and get money or get the rest of the family um as well. So sometimes we don't look at that. Also too when I was looking at this documentary I kept saying to myself, well, what's the difference? Because, you know, they always like to pin, you know, MLK to Malcolm X. They wanted the same at mm. the end of the day. Even with their <laughs> ideology, when, you know, Malcolm X went to make um, pilgrimage in Mecca, they wanted the same. So they pretty much wanted, like, equality for Black people um, and kind of was doing this whole integrationalist, you know, and I know people like to hear, oh, no, Malcolm was about, you know, pro-Black. They both was about pro-black, but when he went to Mecca, you seen a whole different paradigm shift in Malcolm's thinking and holistic ideology as well. And I think um, 
you know, as you mentioned, the NOI didn't take too kindly of that. Was like, hold on. Even to the point when um, Clashes K, you know, aka Muhammad Ali, was like, nah, I'm gonna have to like fall back from him because you know. I really enjoy the aspect of just coming into Islam and now I got to pick sides. And of course I'm going to rock with, you know, Elijah Muhammad because going back to the black Messiah, you know, I look at him as my father figure um, and pretty much, I guess he read, you know, a message to the black man, this kind of shifted his whole, you know, mindset and change as well. So you have to also take that into consideration as well. Um, Another thing that I gathered from the documentary that that was kind of interesting too was just the black pain that we often ignore, especially in black men. The brother that was locked up, and remember he said he was 81 years old. I forgot his name. And his whole I felt so bad for him because he only had oh. a relationship with his daughter. The one yeah. that um, Hager. Yeah. Um, I felt bad for him, and sometimes we don't acknowledge the black pain. We like to commercialize on it, but we don't acknowledge the black men's pain when it comes to mass incarceration. Because mass incarceration been going on, let's be honest, since I'm gonna have it going to the 60s. You know, and it just ushered in now this whole big um conversation, you know, going into 2020. Um imagine being locked up for a, a big part of your life and then you know, you're kind of like, okay, do I say that this innocent person, you know, was the trigger man and that person still get locked up and that weighs on your consciousness as well. So I thought that was interesting and that was just more of a basic um, how he shut down too. That's basic psychology, sociology one-on-one, like how he shut down when he was talking about, well, are you innocent? Do you want to be exonerated? And remember at the point they were sitting on the bench, he's like, do whatever you got to do. If you want to send a letter to try to get my name clear do it but i think at this point in time he was 81 years old he's like hey, i i, I could speak to that i could speak to that a little bit um mm -hmm. from experience i think that um a lot of people commercialize jail in prison and mm -hmm. even our and even our own culture like you get a lot of guys that don't want to talk about their experience in jail and it may not have been bad it, what i right. mean by bad is you go to jail, you do your time, you come home. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that he did that, that you're right is that I won't say that he lost hope because hope that hope is what got him out. Right. Um, me, me knowing people that got, as, as people say forever, I got some friends that got a lot of time that I, that I wound up doing time with. So you, that hope that they have is what gets them through the day and would eventually get them out on the street. Um, one of the things that, that I do want to address is maybe we do need to talk about a little bit more. Maybe guys that have been behind that wall need to explain a little bit of the, 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 the stuff that we had may have went through when we was in jail or whatever. So get, give some people uh, understanding because a lot of times, like I said, people just don't want to talk about it. It ain't nothing bad. Jo Jokers just did their time, sat down, and come home. You know what exactly. I mean? Like so much so that even in one of one of the uh, the pages that I got, the assistant page, assisting page, one of the biggest obstacles for a guy coming home from jail nowadays, me, most people may not know it, is just getting a basic ID. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Just getting a basic ID could be an obstacle. Right. Because a lot of times you can't, the state you was born, got to go to the Capitol. They don't, they don't, this is how I had got my ID. They don't give you an ID unless you have an ID. So how do you get an ID? As complicated as I just said that, that's as true as it is. Right. They don't give you an ID unless you have an ID to get an ID. Right. Now that sounds like some of the stupidest thing a person could say, but it's the truth. One of the, th- I got a couple questions from a couple people that I want to reopen. Okay. Somebody said, and now the case is reopened. Yeah. Now, me and you both got different feelings about how do you go, how do you feel about the case being quote unquote reopened? Okay, since the case is reopened, so once again, like I said earlier, it's opening up um, more trauma for the black community. This is, can be even more um, people being all code, as people like to say, you know, people being all code. What is this going to solve? Is this going to clear a lot of folks' names? Is it going to um, bring up um, the dead and, and slander their name? Um, what is this going to be the ultimate? So I look at it as a micro the macro um, cosmic look, what is this going to solve um, for Malcolm X, his family? I mean, he's dead. A lot of um, people involved were dead. Um, you know, his daughters and his legacy is still here going on. What is that going to solve if it's going to get reopened? Because that's what um, I think that's reopened. I think the Tupac case is still reopened. I think um, the biggest cases are still reopened and, and people get, um, since it right, we're getting our feelings about it. But what is this going to solve at the end of the day? Well, I, I, I have a lot of mixed views about the case being reopened. Um, what, one of the things is, um, I do agree with you. What is it going to prove? Uh, what, what are they going to do now that they didn't do back then? Um, I think it does tie, like you said, with MLK, because I think a lot of people don't know that the United States government was found guilty mm-hmm. for killing MLK. Right. So if they if they find that the CIA uh, orchestrated this killing or whatever, or even if the brother that I know, William Bradley, uh, Mustafa Shabazz was complicit or was the actual shooter, he's dead now. What mm-hmm. is it going? So I think that a lot of times, you know, and, and, and his family, his daughters are due justice. Let's get that straight. Uh, they are due justice and they do deserve that right. So it's like a lot of, it's a lot, of, as they say, a lot of moving parts. And if they find out the Nation of Islam is complicit, are they going to try to take their money? Are they going to try to take them down? And this is something we got to look at that even though we may not be a part of that organization or may not have a dog in the fight. Like what is the purpose of opening the investigation? Now, they don't even really have the resources to do stuff like this. I know that a lot of times we believe that when we watch shows like Cold Case and all this stuff, that they just got a blank check to do this stuff. A lot of times they don't even have the resources. So if they do it, I believe it would be great for his daughters because they have a yeah. right to know, like I said. But I believe that his daughters know something. Uh, right. One of, one of his daughters, I actually I have it somewhere here. One of his daughters, she just wrote a book I just bought. Very interesting book. She basically say, Growing Up X. I think that's the name of the book. I just bought yeah. it a few weeks ago. But and another question was, 
Do you feel ego took over Malcolm X? Mm, okay, so let's let's talk about that. But I also want to go back to the question before you talk about the daughter. So, you know, one of his daughters, I can't think of her name, had actually put out a hit on Farrakhan. Yes. Um, also, too, I think that this will be the last take of NOI and Farrakhan because I think they want to just get rid of him, period. Because, um, you know, he's been being on social media. His message has been being in jails as well. So we'll fast forward to that. Um, so the ego, let's talk about the ego real quick. And I always say ego is easing God out. So ego, ego, ego. But wait, wait, let me finish. I just got one quick thing on the, on, on the okay. uh, investigation. I want everybody to look up the guy, Pio Gamma DePento. Pio Gamma DePento. He was a Nairobian journalist. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't know is that our elder, Dick Gregory, mm -hmm. accused the CIA of killing Malcolm X. And he mm -hmm. said that during he was a very close friend of Malcolm during that time. And he he explained that Malcolm, when he went to Mecca, he not did not only go to Mecca, he went to African countries. Right. And he met with a journalist named P.O.D. P.O. Gama Demento. And this journalist was the guy who Malcolm wanted with Malcolm's help, was going to go to the UN and bring the United States up on uh, charges, basically genocide charges in front of the UN. Mm. For, for those that like to do a lot of research, they can look into it. Basically, I did some background stuff. You know, I'm not just lazy, somebody that just want to talk, but they can look it up and they'll see it. It's there. It's clear as day. This guy, this journalist from Nairobi, he got killed, I think, the day after Malcolm or either the day after, day before, the same day. So this is something you look at. And even in the autopsy and the way that they show the, the, the podium, some people say that the way that the bullets are, the bullets are arching down, meaning that it was shooters in an elevated state. So for conspiracy theorists and those that like to do research, this is some other story that our elder Dick Gregory said during that time and up until his death that the CIA was complicit as well in this murder. Right. I believe that too. Especially like when um, the day of his death, or the assassination, how it was only two armed police officers and how they was way up there in um, the building instead of like the Audubon being surrounded. So I always thought that was kind of interesting as well. And that was more context to that as well. Um, Going back to the ego, we all have ego, right? And like I said, ego, um, I always say easing God out at times. Sometimes we need our ego to propel us forward to progress um, your passion and your purpose. And I think when Malcolm, at the end of the day, I just think he kind of got caught up in, you know, not only him being so charismatic, but his ego kind of did get him caught up in. But I don't think he was more like this whole narcissist, like, oh, y'all can't touch me as you see in some other people. Um, he knew his demise was coming very soon. Um, and I think when you're in tune with that, when you know like you're gonna say some really truth to power stuff, um, I think he was more, um, I don't like to say humble, but he was more like, yeah, I know my time is gonna come when I don't know. Um, I think that he kind of backtracked and backpedaled um, a bit on the message. I mean, we're human beings. You know, we get inconsistencies with our messaging. Um, was there probably some parts in which he was like, yo, I got all this power. I could just lift the finger and say, yo, go do this. I think he did get caught up with that. Um, I also think, too, it was just a, a, a egocentric thing. Like, I have an ego and also Elijah Muhammad. 
because you know since people still look at him as a black messiah i think his ego was out of control <laughs> as well but i think malcolm had that little glimpse of like yo oh wow like i can you know like tell these people to jump off this building and they're gonna do it um that's my perspective on that well, i think i think i think you i don't i won't say malcolm had ego um I think that a lot of times is that when we're in position, it's and, and we see it today with social media and some of us, how we could go about, sometimes we think that we could be in a better position than the person that's talking. Sometimes we feel as though we could do better. Um, Malcolm X, charisma-wise, mm-hmm. I don't, me personally, and I'm a I'm a person who I like to say that I'm I read a lot, I'm well read. I don't think that nobody in the last 80 years had more charisma than probably him and Barack Obama. Charisma-wise, these right. they knew how to, as we say, they knew how to how we say they knew how to work a room. You know, they had mm-hmm. an audience, they knew how to work up the audience. This is something that is a gift. So right. with that. And Brent, him having a message, and he wasn't considered the messenger, or he wasn't the leader. I believe that it was a lot of seeds of dissension sowed. It was very easy. Here it is that he had this charisma, and he was known in the media more, even though he was always say, "I'm a minister of uh, Elijah Muhammad. I'm the representative of Elijah Muhammad." That's all well and dandy, but still the media and people gonna give you credit. Right. I mean, we see that in, in any aspect. The face, the face of something is that organization. No matter yeah. what you say, you could always give other people credit and reverence or whatever. The, whoever has the most charisma and is more out and people cling to, they're gonna be the face. And this goes like, you know. When we see sports, we always see certain people talking about sports. We'd be like, right. oh, that's the face, that's the face of that group, or that's the that's the face of that football team. You know, so it's is 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 very important. One of the things that you had brought up, Dre, was these documentaries. And so I was I was doing some research last night and I was saying these people, Netflix, man, Netflix is good, y'all. They actually have a documentary in the works on Nipsey Hustle. Yeah. Like so soon. So, so, it's like so soon, but you know, to to go back to that. What, this is why I think it is too. Um, and then we can go forward with this. I think people are looking for the Black Messiah, and what I mean by that, I think people uh we at a desperate time. When I'm talking about we, I'm talking about Black Americans. We at a desperate time. We are looking for like that Black voice to like. Not saying soothe our pain or rock us to sleep, but kind of like, I'm going to be honest, like save us from the depth of the the zero wealth and all this um, police brutality, toxic behavior. I think someone's looking for that. And if you ever notice, every decade, someone's the Black Messiah, whether it's through music, whether it's through a message, whether it's through sports. They're trying to find this black messiah for 2020. And that and that segues to always something that we talk about. And even and it's funny that Malcolm, one of his favorite, his favorite quotes was celebrities and comedians are not just spokesmen. And I think that unfortunately for us is that uh 
we miss that lack of sense of community, right? Com community connection, family. So we look at these celebrities and entertainers as leaders in in our everyday struggle, you know. And I one of the one of the things that on a personal note that I always laugh is when people put a couple up and they be like relationship goals. Right. Relationship goals. You don't even know these people. Like, like relationship. Yeah. Each other relationship goals. Right. Exactly. And that's and that's one of our biggest issues is that that's what happens is we look at a person with money. One of the biggest things we look at a person with money and yeah. look at them as like they were so successful or whatever. This is someone I'm gonna follow, and this is this is a, a clearly a form of uh, lack of understand, lack really lack of knowledge of self because yeah. this stuff didn't happen up until like the '60s when Malcolm started explaining this stuff. One of one of Toshiba got a, brings up a good point. She said. Let's not confuse ego with heartbreak. Malcolm was heartbroken and disappointed yeah. in Elijah Muhammad's infidelities with minors that produced yeah. children. Yeah. Malcolm was heartbroken and called this out and reevaluated re all things Elijah taught him, and he questioned his intentions. You're right. That's true. That's You're right. One of one of the uh, things that what Tashiba said is people got to understand that. Malcolm was hurt. Yeah, this man literally took him out of, in his words, the gutter, cleaned yep. him up, and gave him life. So, right. like, just as much as Malcolm felt that, hundreds of thousands of followers felt the same mm -hmm. thing. And when Malcolm began to question and attack him, it's brought a lot of hatred towards Malcolm and a lot of dissension, and even. You know, those are the things that I I I I know from research and I know from secondhand information. If anybody wants to look up uh, Minister James Shabazz, who ran Mars Twenty Five at the time, and you'll you you could just do your own history. I don't want to repeat nothing online or nothing. You just do your own history on Minister James Mars Twenty Five during the seventies and what happened and what later happened to him dying and so forth. You do your own research with that. I'm not touching that. And the reason why I'm not touching that is because of the closeness I may or may not have with people involved in that situation or mm -hmm. know of that situation. That's something that I think that a lot of us need to do a little bit more and ask ask our people. Dre, I know you, you're originally from Rhode Island, but you moved down there. We're close to this, up this way where I'm at. Um, and I don't think that a lot of us realize how close we are to a lot of situations like even the uh the Morris Science Temple started in Newark like Drew Ali started right. his movement in Newark so I don't think a lot of people know like oh you know they'll be they, they might meet some people that say they Moorish American Muslims right. and they'd be like what you mean you know what I mean like because yeah. he because they right now Moorish Americans Moorish Science Temple is big in Chicago right but it's like it really based as based out of North New Jersey. Right. And I think a lot of times too, um, me being from Boston, and like you said, when you're not connected to being Muslim um, or Islam, I knew about Malcolm X because he grew up in Roxbury. Um, I'm not from Roxbury. I'm from Mattapan, but you know, I've been to that area so many times. Um, and it's a lot of black history that was instilled there in Boston. And just seeing them selling the final call, knowing where the mosque was at in Grove Hall, 
um, seeing their businesses and grow far, which is like a black mecca in Boston as well. Um, so like you said, a lot of times we're connected to it. We don't know how close connected we are to it because being from, you know, on the East Coast, especially, you know, the like the Northeastern states, a lot of that um, black nationalism was birthed in those states, in those cities. So like you said, we don't realize how close, closely connected we are. So I so I didn't want to mess with nobody and be like, you know, so who really killed Malcolm X? Like, I ain't going to be revealing no big old secret, but I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think none of us will ever know the actual story. Like like we said, um, they they are going to open up the investigation. But really, like, who who's who's going to pay for the resources for this to be opened up? Like. Right, because the brother was Def definitely after as well. The brother that's from Providence, um, Abdul uh, Muhammad, he was running out of resources, and I mean, I commend him for even having that passion. And that's his life work. We can't tarnish his life work. He was even running out of resources and time on who killed Malcolm X. Um, and sometimes this can chip away from your holistic self, your mental health, because you like trying to go down this dark path of like, man, this person's my hero. Why did he get killed? And when you're like, keep trying to chip away of at this investigation in which I feel everybody had a hand in it. Everybody had a hand in it. So I can't say this person, this person. Yeah, we know people, you know, um, shot the, you know, shot him, but it was also masterminds behind that too. That we will never ever know about. So, so let me ask you, and we we discussed this behind the scenes. What can we learn from this killing? Woo, we gotta take a breath on that. Um, what can we learn about the killing? This is um, one thing I definitely can say is if you have a grievance with someone, right? And I'm talking about being on call, whatever the case is, in the black community. I have that issue with them. Like, go to them. Also, too, we have to pump the brakes on this idol worshiping. I think we worship people, money, and things too much, and it makes us unravel. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention organizations, too. And it makes us unravel. And do your own research and your own due diligence because this is a big, I mean, this whole, like, um, the assassination of Malcolm X, the documentary, you can see a whole lot of organizations now that's black. You may love some of the um, organizers, the founders. A lot of behind the scenes, people are unraveling. And you want to see, and now since it's so easy to get the bag, if someone gets the bag behind closed doors, you're going to see some ish hit the fan, and it may be even more, hate to say it, um, assassinations or assassination of character or slinger as well in a literally in a figurative way so we have to learn how to like really have our path yes we know what our lineage is yes we know that country for 400 plus years we know all that but what are we going to do about it and also you know start at home and help our own community instead of following this one person and thinking that they're the black messiah yeah i i i, I second that because uh it's interesting because this is how me and you met. Uh, with, with, uh, with, we, we, we both believe in reparations, and we met we met basically through a network uh, trying to get us reparations. Um, one of the biggest things that I, I did learn is uh, 
because I had knew the story and it was like hood folklore in a way. <laughs> so when I, I happened to watch it, I'm like, it's on already. Cause I, I just happened to be home last Friday. Right. And I was like, let me try, let me I, I was bored. So let me watch some. And so I watched it. So one of the things I learned is that you you when you describe in history, if you weren't there, you have to try to explain context. You have mm -hmm. to try to, you have to explain context. It's very, very important. And this is one of the things that I think that uh some of our elders, when they tell them this stuff, and they'd be like, you wouldn't understand. They'll say, right. they'll tell you a story and they'll be like, you wouldn't understand. So that basically means in their form of context, how we can learn is like you said, the social media aspect is like, we don't, we nobody wins in a social media war. They don't. Because what happens with social media, everybody, you may not think that you're a leader or you may not think that you got followers, People may follow you. And in the social media war, instead of picking up that phone, going in that little mailbox, say, yo, call me. Right. Even to the point now, people even want to record the conversation and then try to twist the conversation. Still be able to pick up the phone and be like, yo, I don't know if I came off the wrong way. Nobody wants to take the high road. Everybody wants to be right. Yes. Um, and yeah. also... Also, we got to understand the invisible force. When you're fighting, when you're fighting white supremacy, yes. Know that and I mean white supremacy for what it is. I want the audience to understand it. It is white supremacist. It is it is an ideology that's there. Uh though right. though though some of us may be blind and be like it's not going on. It is there. Mhm. Mm even in the movie, even in the documentary, they said Malcolm's letters were being cut off. They weren't getting to, to, to Elijah. Not only that, it's known fact that the FBI would try to incite and they would write letters and forge Malcolm's signature to the letters. Exactly. And so, they still to this day. You're talking about Jay Edgar Hoover, who had a hatred for black um, folks especially black organizations. What's the difference now? You have black extremists, um, you know, they on the list, you know, Black Lives Matter and all these organizations as well. So as to say, I didn't mean to cut you off, you have white supremacy that you're fighting and this has been systems placed globally. We know that it's definitely here in the United States, but it's globally. And I think people get that message confused and it's all about policies and how it's gonna keep you and your family locked out of so many situations. Um, and people can, that look like us, and as we see in the documentary, can be tools of white supremacy as well, by being informants, by being plants, by being agents. Um, so I think sometimes we miss the message on that, too. Yeah, because, you know, the brother said his wife was sick, so he justified, he justified working for the people. Yes. Because his wife was pregnant, I mean, his wife. Yeah. He was like, uh-uh, my wife pregnant. So we gotta we gotta be mindful of that. And then even to the point for those of us that know anything about CPR, the cop that was there when Malcolm X got shot, why are you giving him mouth to mouth when he got sh shot? Why are you giving him mouth to mouth? And right. he got open wounds, like exactly. come on. So I got quote unquote tired when they was like, Yo, why are you um down there giving him CPR? Oh, I got tired. Yeah, even to the point where I saw some stuff where he, you know, he even felt bad for for participating in it because right. it's like, damn, 
as a, as a police officer, his number one objective is to preserve life. So here it is. He was there to infiltrate, mm-hmm. but the man got shot. So he's trying to, in his words, revitalize the man. Right. Is that uh is is that more? You got any more for us, Dre? I know you know any more. I mean, we're about to wrap up. If ain't nobody got no more questions in the queue, yeah, I mean, guys, check it out. Um, it's a very good series. Um, and look at it from a lens, um, from a global lens, and look at it from a different. Don't look at a surface level. Look at it from like a, a scientist, social scientist lens. Um, so that's my background. Um, do a lot of assessment and, and assess it from, like I said, 55 years fast forward to now of, you know, has things really changed or has things pro- progressively got worse for um, Black Americans? And something that we mentioned too was, you're talking about uh, we was, people living in a universe without many immigrants and how yeah. part as well, how that kind of like kind of opened yeah. the door. To other things as well. Um, one thing, one one question I got that uh, my friend Kevin asked, and this is something that you're you're segueing to. He asked, and I I'll go first, then you go. He <laughs> said, "Do I think the gentleman that put the documentary together was credible?" I I believe more he was absolutely credible from his perspective. Definitely. And and the reason why I say that because he didn't come in with the biases. He right. gave a documentary based off the information that was given to him and that he could find through the, the uh, Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. However, him like myself, if you don't, if I was to go into that situation doing the same thing, I would probably, based off of using resources, I would probably come up with the same information. Right. But the, the key point is context. The key point right. is understanding the climate that was going on during that time. Malcolm X, I need everybody to understand this, who may or may not see this. Malcolm X was not the Malcolm X that we say today. And what I mean by that, he was not considered a hero. He's a hero to us. He's a hero now, but he was not considered a hero. As much as people don't like to admit it and like to say it, they considered him the worst of all hypocrites. The, right. And and even even in documents that a lot they tape recordings of the FBI had, Elijah Muhammad said that all hypocrites need their heads cut off. Exactly. So, you know, you have anything to add with that, Drea? No, oh, so I- so to back to what Drea was saying, one second. Back to what Drea was saying was that had Malcolm and this journalist P.O. Gamma Depento of Nairobi went to the UN and charged the United Nations with genocide and hate crimes towards black people. And what I mean by black people, everyone, is descendants of slaves. And the reason why I'm going to say this is because you you may have had your Garveys, you may have had trinkled people from African countries, but it was not immigration. It was not our second generation right. black brothers and sisters back then. It was not this influx of black people during the 60s because the Immigration Act turned up in the 70s, like mm-hmm. really turned up and sort of say the floodgates was open. Right. So 
to understand if he would have put America on their world on the world stage and took them to court, it would have messed up their program. Exactly. Or what they were trying to prove and sell. Right. You got something, Andrea? No, you was right on point with that. It would have definitely messed up the policies that we see now of, you know, like open borders, um, you know, seeing the influx of immigration um, occurring, what we're seeing now. But now we're seeing like a, you know, it's, it's kind of regressing, you know, since Trump is in office. Um, so that's a good point that you made. And, you know, I, I think the, the gentleman was credible that did the documentary that wrote the book. Um, he was three years old when Malcolm X got assassinated, you know, from Providence, Rhode Island. You know, I lived in Providence for six years. And if you guys know anything about the scope and everything, how he opened it up was talking about dating white women um, and police brutality. Like I said, that, that was he was 14 years old. Let's go back to now. You still see some of that now. So that kind of like triggered like, yo, this is my life path. This is my life purpose. And, you know, this man was my hero. Um, so I think he was very credible. Um, I hope that he um, gets all type of awards for it because that's a lot of grind. Um, you putting your life on the line to like peel back these layers that people don't want to discuss um, that happened 55 years ago. So salute to him for even doing, for being brave. We don't talk about bravery anymore. For being brave and using his resources that I'm pretty sure, you know, he had lack of because, of, you know, the type of job he had. It's not like he was making six, seven figures out of his job um, for doing his documentary. So salute to him. Well, that's about it. That's about it, everybody. I'm glad everybody could join us for the show. Appreciate everybody in the comments. Appreciate everybody watching. Like I always say, like, share, share the page. I mean, all criticism is good criticism. Just show some respect. For any inquiries, it's at letstalk5600 at gmail.com, as well as on the Facebook page. You can personally inbox me, myself. Drea has a platform as well. It's yeah. called Brown Girl Boston, right, Drea? Brown Girl from Boston. I'm on Facebook and also on IG, so make sure you check me out there as well. She's also a career and life coach, so she has she has numerous videos that we've done. And uh, like I said, she's she gets she brings a different perspective every time we love her on the platform, and we we know that she will be coming on the platform again soon. Yes. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day.